you are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 Hello, Dodger fans. Welcome to Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. This is the daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I am Jeff Snyder of Baseball Essential, along with Vince Semperio of Chavez Ravine Fiends. Vince, the Dodgers won a playoff series. The Dodgers did win a playoff series. Another relatively stress-free game for the most part. So, so far, I'm, I'm liking what what we're seeing, and uh, I'm inter- I'm excited to see later today who they're going to play in the, in the next round. Yeah, the star of this game was absolutely Clayton Kershaw. He went eight shutout innings, struck out 13 batters, walked one guy in the eighth inning, and then picked him off. Uh, it was, He allowed three hits. It was just a dominant, dominant performance. Vince, what stood out the most to you? About Clayton Kershaw. The the number that kept being repeated all over was 20 swings and misses on his slider. That's absolutely ridiculous. He faced, what did he face, 20-something batters, and he had 20 swings and misses. I mean, that's that's pretty uh, out there. And the 13 strikeouts on top of that, and the fact that he was able to get so many strikeouts but still be able to keep it under 100 pitches to get through the eight innings was, was remarkable. And, you know, it's just... The kind of the Kershaw we've been seeing all season for the most part, just a little bit amped up, a little bit dialed up, and uh, it was fun to see him have a little fun in that seventh inning or eighth inning, one of those innings when he when he to, when he told Dave Roberts to back off and leave him in the game, and then he got a pickoff and a strikeout to end the inning. Uh, it was just fun to watch and a joy to watch, and you know we, we Kershaw's had. Nice, good, really good performances in the playoffs before, but it's nice to get another one, especially as he's getting older, to just kind of show you know that he has had struggles, but he's also been really good. Yeah, he was like vintage Kershaw. That slider, uh, you know, we've seen him. We we talked about this the other day. We've seen some games this season where Kershaw's off-speed stuff was just working as good as it has ever had, as ever has. And this slider on Thursday night was absolutely one of those nights that I think that was the best his slider has ever been, you know, or at least uh, as good as it's ever been. It was, you know, his actually his career postseason ERA went down by almost a quarter of a run just from this one game. Uh, it just kind of goes to show what it, it's always been understood by by smart people that even for as much as Clayton Kershaw has pitched in the postseason. It's still a relatively small sample size, uh, but what we saw here was uh, Clayton Kershaw at his best in October in the postseason, and uh, I thought it was interesting. They showed a stat before the game that in elimination games in the postseason, he actually, in six games, two starts and, and four relief appearances, he had a 150 ERA coming in, and that obviously is significantly lower now uh, in in clinching games. Uh not elimination, but a chance to, to win a series. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, Clayton Kershaw, you, you know how much I love Kershaw and seeing him dominate like that, 
one of the happiest moments of the season for me. There may be those people that say, well, it's the Brewers' offense wasn't good, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you can only pitch to who's in front of you. And regardless of it, they're a playoff team, even if they're under 500. And they have guys that, you know, have had success and been good before and, and are good hitters still. So to get it done now, it, it's nice. It's beautiful. And, you know, just kind of sets up. The rest of the, the postseason, hopefully that that's how it's going to be. Obviously, it's not always going to be eight innings of shutout, although that would be ideal. But it just shows that, you know, he, he's ready to go. He's in a, you know, maybe the, I don't think this is, you know, any part of it, but a lack of fans maybe keeps them dialed back a little bit, not as amped up. And maybe that helps out a little bit. Very, you know, that's me projecting a little bit, but that that's very possible of what we can see with Kershaw going forward. Even if they do make it to the NLCS and, and World Series when there's fans, 11,000 fans is a lot different than 50,000 fans. For sure, even though hopefully you and I will be two of them. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if it's the fans or not, but we've definitely seen from Kershaw this year a little bit more. Like you mentioned him joking. I, well, he was still in the mound or in the game on the mound, and he was laughing. Have we ever seen Clayton Kershaw before this year? Uh, have we ever seen him laugh during a game when he was pitching? Only like sarcastically if he gives up a like bad home run or something. Yeah, it, it, I mean, and even so, that's more of a grimace. Yeah, and obviously he's still a very intense competitor, but somewhere maybe he's found a little bit more balance and uh, and kind of I don't know. Whatever it is, I, I don't know. Like you said, we're mostly projecting. Uh, the fact that you and I and everybody listening to this will never actually understand what it's like to be in Clayton Kershaw's head because Clayton Kershaw, the reason he is one of the best pitchers ever is partly physical ability, but also partly because his brain is different than ours. And so all we can do is guess, but, uh, but it's fun to watch. It's fun to see him having fun, uh, seeing him... You know, when he went in the dugout after the eighth inning, even though he was only at 93 pitches, he probably could could have finished the game. He walked in. He knew he was done, and he was smiling and laughing and enjoyed the last inning. And, and uh, after the game, seeing him joking with Brewster Gratterall when they're uh, – sorry, Graterall, as I learned <laughs> from Carl Rabbits tonight. Uh, you know, he, he – yeah, Clayton Kershaw is enjoying baseball, and I'm happy when Clayton Kershaw's happy. I know that's a lot to put on him, but – Clayton, my happiness depends on yours, so uh, keep on pounding, man. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, you have any other Kershaw thoughts before we move on to other topics? No, I know we're going to get into something about the next round in Kershaw, so I'll save it for then. Okay. Uh, yeah, before we move on to our other, other topics then, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Uh, it tastes like a candy bar, but unlike candy bars, it's super healthy. Like not just not bad for you, it's actually actively healthy. Uh, it has a ton of protein, very few carbs, very few calories. Compared to candy bars, it's not even close. Even compared to other protein bars, it is healthier and tastes so much better. If you need a protein bar, don't force yourself to eat that garbage uh, I'm not going to name the other brands, but you know what I'm talking about. They taste gross. Don't force yourself to do that. Get a Built Bar. You will not regret it. They have a ton of different flavors, 18 or 20 flavors, something like that. Uh, they all have chocolate. Some of them nuts, some don't. Uh, and they are good if you're on keto. They're low enough carb that they're good for keto. They'll help you lose weight. They'll help you gain muscle. Whatever your health goals are, I promise you, 
Built Bar will work in your goals. So all you got to do is go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you will get $10 off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And keep it locked on, Dodgers. All right, Vince, it's time for our obscure former Dodger of the day. Before we talk about the goings-on in the most recent postseason game, I thought I would talk about a re- a long-past postseason hero for the Dodgers uh, who, despite being a postseason hero, uh, is very, very obscure. Uh, I, I will be shocked if you've ever heard of this guy, Vince, and uh, I bet most of our listeners have not. And the reason he came up for me before I tell you who he is uh, I have this old baseball trivia card game that has a bunch of baseball trivia questions in it, and the game is from like 1985 or something, and so some of the questions are outdated, but uh, I still have the game, and my kids sometimes like to grab it and ask me trivia questions, and my daughter was doing that tonight, and one of the questions was, who hit two pinch-hit home runs in the World Series for the 1959 Dodgers? Do you have any idea who it was, Vince? Nope. Chuck Esegen. You ever heard of him? I have not heard of him. Chuck Esegen played six years in the big leagues. One and a half of those seasons came with the Dodgers. Uh, He also played with the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Orioles, the A's, and the Indians. Um, And I think of him as an Indian just because my dad uh, has a couple baseball cards of him on the Indians and uh, players from the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, when I think of them, I think of them as who I saw on my dad's baseball cards. But uh, Chuck Asijan in 1959 came over to the Dodgers midseason and uh, only got four plate appearances in the 1959 World Series, which you'll recall was the Dodgers' first World Series championship in Los Angeles. Uh, and he went two for three with a walk and two homers. As I mentioned, both of those home runs were pinch hit home runs. And that is his entire postseason batting record for his career those four plate appearances. So he retired with a career postseason OPS of 3.417. That is good. And so uh, Chuck Asijan, the only other real notable thing about him is uh, he was traded three, four times in his career for a total of five players. And three of the five players he was named, he was traded for were named Dick, Dick Gray, Dick Hall and Dick Williams. So, uh, uh, that's, you know, 60% of the guys ever traded for him were named Dick and, uh, his name's Chuck and you just don't meet any Dicks or Chucks anymore these days. So, uh, uh, Chuck Asijan is our obscure former Dodger. You have any thoughts? No, let's bring him back with that OPS. Yeah. Yeah. We could use him. Um, but, uh, who we do have is guys like Mookie Betts and uh, apparently Austin Barnes. Austin Barnes got the start on Thursday because Clayton Kershaw was pitching. And uh, he got the Dodgers' first hit in the third inning after Brandon Woodruff had set down the first eight batters he faced. Uh, And then in the fifth inning, he drove in the Dodgers' first run with a two-out, kind of a seeing-eye single up the middle that that got through uh, to score Chris Taylor from second base, uh, which ended up being the winning run. And then Mookie Betts hit a two-run double afterwards in which Austin Barnes showed off his wheels, scoring from first on a double down the line. Uh, so Austin Barnes, in addition to you have to assume that Kershaw's performance was at least partly due to his comfort throwing to Austin Barnes. Barnes also got the job done at the plate. What were your thoughts on Austin Barnes, Vince? 
I mean, just like Gershaw, great to see. He had kind of a weird season. We kind of, you know, forgot about him on that back end. Will Smith was doing so well and playing most of the time. And, you know, Barnes was just kind of there. Uh, I can't, honestly couldn't tell you any memorable moments from Barnes the last, like, two or three weeks of the season. Uh, but we knew he was going to start when Kershaw got to start. They still got Will Smith in the lineup, so that's ideal. But Austin Barnes came through. It wasn't hit hard. He did the barrels were overrated. I think they said 84 miles an hour off the bat, a, a little ground ball up the middle. Uh, I guess it's a good thing that he doesn't have any tendencies that to pull because then they would have had somebody right there, and then he would have been over. But, yeah, I mean, this is the type of things that you, you need in a postseason run. You need the guys at the bottom of the order to come through. You need guys that you don't expect to come through. And then you need your, your main guys to come through. And for the Dodgers so far, it's been Seager and Mookie. And 3-4-5 hasn't really done too much. But that's just a testament to the Dodgers are still able to win the series. Not handily, but easily enough. To, and without their 3-4-5 guys kind of getting anything. So... You know, any contributions, as we've said, from Barnes is just gravy, uh, especially in a close game when Kershaw's pitching very, very well. Yeah, and another thing that that at bat from Barnes in the fifth inning did, uh, there was a pitch to him from Woodruff that Woodruff thought was a strike. It was off the plate, and it was called a ball, and that kind of rattled Woodruff a little bit. Uh, and then obviously then followed up. He was already probably a little rattled because the Brewers had almost gotten out of the inning uh, when A.J. Pollock hit what was almost an inning-inning double play, uh, but Jed Jerko couldn't handle the throw in the dirt at first base. And so between the double play not happening and then uh, the, the what Woodruff thought should have been a called strike, not getting that call, and then the, the little bleeder single that got through to, to score the run, uh, I think all of that contributed to Mookie Betts' double, you know, kind of put Bet- Mookie in a position of advantage over Woodruff. uh, And then Woodruff ended up getting himself tossed uh, when he got removed from the game. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Vince, but uh, he, after the game, Woodruff uh, admitted that he went and watched the replay and admitted that the pitch was a ball and that he he said, I needed to move on and make a good pitch, and I wasn't able to do that. Uh, But yeah, you know, that whole sequence, how quickly things can change. And I've been known to say sometimes, the pitcher is cruising until he's not. And so I never, like whenever people say, why would he take him out? He was cruising. And, you know, I'd rather have a manager take out a pitcher while he's cruising than once he stops cruising. Uh, it's kind of like the uh, the Peter principle in business. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, it basically says that uh, people in companies tend to get promoted uh, when they're good at their job. And the only time they stop getting promoted is when they stop being good at their job. And so most of a company is made up of people who aren't actually good at the jobs they're in because they've all been promoted out of the jobs they were good at. Uh, and, you know, we, you see that with pitchers sometimes too. Uh, pitcher Managers will leave pitchers in because they're pitching really well, uh, but then they come out when they stop pitching well. And, you know, as much as it sucks sometimes, I would rather have a pitcher come out before he stops pitching well. Uh, but anyway, all that's just a long preamble to say Mookie Betts kind of came into that at bat with a, a position of advantage and and he got the job done yeah there's you can't really ask for too much more than what Mookie's given them so far in that leadoff spot three doubles uh you know r- runs batted in all that good stuff and just you know he, he you can just tell how excited and how amped he is to be playing right now in the postseason and you know the his signature move after base hits and doubles he was you know added a little extra flair to it today and all his 
all his questions answered after the game, you know, are still a little less uh, excited, but still answers, you know, praising his praising his teammates. I mean, he went on to praise everybody that got a hit ahead of him before that double, you know, Belly, Taylor, Barnes, even Pollock for running hard and, and not getting doubled up. So, you know, he's the ultimate consummate professional. He knows what's going on in the game. And so far he's delivered. And thank you, Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his tongue is long, too. Did you notice that? How far his tongue? Didn't like, take, it didn't look that much, but uh, I'll check it out. Yeah, and maybe I might just have a short tongue. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it looked like he could like lick his belly button if he wanted to. Um, that might be an exaggeration. He's not quite Gene Simmons. Um, I'm trying to think. You have any other thoughts specifically on this game before we move on to talking a little bit about the next round, Vince? Maybe not this game, but it'll segue a little bit into the next round. So you know, as I said, three, four, five hitters didn't do too much. Uh, not really worried about Turner or Smith just because we know what Turner can do and has done. Smith is, you know, has shown that he's just has a good enough eye and, and discipline at the plate to kind of show. And he, he was good all year. Uh, but the number four hitter, Max Muncy, who had, you know, was struggled all year, had the power, but struggled with everything else. Didn't really go into the last couple weeks of the season. Didn't really finish that strong. Um, you know, just and we talked about this a little bit before how he, he kind of stayed in that four hole throughout it all. And, and I'm not sure if it's I don't think it's a knee jerk reaction. If, if you know, if we have this conversation about maybe getting him out of there, the only thing with it is, you know, if you start moving other guys who are having success up in the lineup, maybe that messes with them. If you know, if you believe in all that, but I think there's definitely a conversation to be had to kind of get Max Muncy out of that four hole and, and maybe push him down. He had, what was it? Three strikeouts last night. And like I said, he just hasn't shown any consistency at all this year other than, power and even then it hasn't been consistent it was just uh prominent when you look at when you look back at the the overall numbers yeah it's an interesting conversation uh i do think there's something to be said uh like you and it's not like the dodgers have a set in stone lineup but they do have some guys who seems seem to be more comfortable in certain spots um i wouldn't mind seeing maybe just flip-flopping Smith and Muncie, put Smith at cleanup. Uh, you know, I know that Roberts likes to have the the left-right, left-right thing, uh, but I think uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that flip-flop happen and put Smith at cleanup. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I still think Muncie is going to be a big contributor in this postseason, and uh, – and it's kind of like the the inverse of the pitcher thing, you know. A hitter's cold until he's not, and and we did see signs of life from Muncie in the last week or two of the season, uh, even if the results weren't totally there. So uh, it, it's definitely something to think about, and I'm sure the Dodgers will be thinking about it. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him still sitting in the cleanup spot when the NLDS starts. I guess one other thing we might want to mention from this game is that Bruce Dargraderall did come in for the save in a safe situation. Kenley Jansen only threw 16 pitches in the previous game. Uh, and uh, Roberts didn't say necessarily that, that Kenley had been unavailable. The explanation that Roberts gave had something to do with him not wanting Kenley to face the same guys he faced the previous night. Uh, Christian Yelich was the only uh, repeat coming up. And so it, it seems pretty specific. He didn't want him facing Yelich. Uh, but I, I think even more than that, 
because uh, it was a three-run game, and so even facing Yelich wouldn't necessarily be so dangerous as to threaten the game. It kind of seemed like the Dodgers have just uh, maybe decided that Kenley is not a back-to-back nights kind of pitcher right now. Yeah, I mean, they have to have recognized that they've seen him back-to-back before. He imploded one time. He struggled another time. And it's not like he has outright dominant stuff the first night and then is a little off the second night to where you can get away with it against a team like the Brewers. He's not having that great of stuff and getting the job done. And then the next night, you know, you have no idea. And in a game like that where Kershaw is, is... you know, went eight masterful innings. You kind of want to give it to somebody that's a little bit more of a sure thing at this point in Bruzar Gratterall. You know, just with the sheer fact of him throwing one 100-101 to this lineup against the Brewers is is more than enough of a sure thing uh, than Jansen. And, you know, I, I really can't see Jansen throwing back-to-back at all this entire postseason unless they absolutely need it. Or if it's, you know, a blowout game and they're just getting him some work. Uh, I, I just can't see it just based on what we've seen. You know, Dave Roberts, and, and people get upset this, Dave Roberts reiterated that Jansen's the Dodgers closer. And, you know, it's hard to argue with that. He, he, he is the Dodgers closer right now. He hasn't done ne- nothing necessarily to knock himself out of that position anyways. I mean, he got the save last night. Uh, and... You know, Dave Roberts is not going to come out on that platform and say Kenley's not the closer. So, you know, the the way we'll see Kenley not being the bona fide closer is things like last night, things in the future where Jansen either doesn't pitch a back-to-back or, you know, Dave Roberts will say things like, I like the matchup better and maybe use somebody else in the ninth inning in a close game. And those will be the little telltale signs of, you know, the, the complete confidence in Jansen isn't quite there. Uh, but they have enough in it to them to kind of leave them as the quote-unquote closer. Yeah, the good news is the concept of a closer is really a meaningless construct anyway. Uh, it Saying somebody's a closer doesn't mean you have to put him in in every safe situation. Uh, it doesn't even mean you have to put him in in most of the safe situations. All it really means is I expect him to get more save opportunities than any other individual. Uh, but, you know, uh, bullpen by committee, and if Kenley gets two out of seven save opportunities, as long as the other five all go to five different guys, then Kenley was the closer, you know. And so uh, Dave Roberts, I've I've said this before with Roberts, I'm always more interested in what he does than what he says uh, because he is a player's manager and he's not going to throw his players under the bus. And so uh, I am totally fine with with Robert saying Kenley's our closer, especially when it means when later that same day he sends out Gratterall to get the save, you know, great. Everybody wins there. Kenley gets to be the closer and Gratterall gets to get the save. Uh, all right. Last topic for today. We'll just touch on this for a little bit. Just, uh, I wanted to touch on it today just because this is our last show of the week. And by the time we talk again, Sunday night for Monday morning's episode, uh, the Dodgers might have already announced their rotation for the next round. And, uh, I was watching MLB Network after the game on Thursday night, and uh, what did I say that dude's name is? Greg Amsinger? Greg Amsinger and Harold Harold Reynolds were having a conversation about who starts game one for the Dodgers in the next series. Uh, And they talked, well, maybe we don't know who they're facing yet, so that might have something to do with it. But uh, basically, Harold Reynolds said he would leave it uh, at Bueller game one, Kershaw game two. Am Singer said he would go Kershaw game one, Bueller game two, 
uh, either way that we have, uh, e even if Kershaw did start game one, he would have regular four days of rest. Uh, if if they went Bueller-Kershaw like they did in this round, each guy would have five days of rest. But if they went the other way, then, then uh, Bueller would actually have six days of rest. And so, uh, you know, with the blister issues, with uh, Amsinger kept bringing up, well, who do you want to be available on short rest for game five? Uh, I honestly, well, hopefully there won't be a game five. And I think the Dodgers are expecting to use uh, five starters or go with a bullpen game in game five. It's hard for me to see them bringing back Kershaw or Bueller on short rest. But between the game five thoughts, the Bueller, th or the blister thoughts, all that stuff, Vince, what are your thoughts on, on what the rotation order should be and what it will be and if those match up? Heading into this round, I said, you know, Bueller's still my, my number one game one starter. And I don't want to be completely results-based. You know, he obviously struggled a little bit, uh, but, you know, did enough to, to get the job done. Kershaw obviously did not struggle and, and, and got the job done a lot better. But I think it's just a matter of Bueller's finger, how it is, how he's doing, you know, what they're expecting from him. If they're expecting him to maybe not be able to go like 80 to 90 pitches or if they're expecting him to not be able to go you know throwing too many pitches in one inning or, or whatever it is you know they got to monitor him then game one might be I don't know a little bit of your best bet you know if he only goes three or four innings in game one you still have the rest of the series to kind of recover and regroup and hopefully Kershaw can give you another outing like you did in game two and save the bullpen a little bit with the no days off. It's going to, it's a lot different than previous years where you can, you know, it would be for sure Bueller game one, just based on the days off and everything else, you know, Kershaw could pitch game two and theoretically still come back and, and give you some kind of innings in game five, if you really needed, but with no days off, it's a little different now. So I would keep it the same as of now, just based on the fact that you have a little more margin for error in game one to have a guy not pitch as well or not go as deep than you would in game two. If you go down one, let's just say, you know, they happen to go down Kershaw pitches game one and they happen to go down game one. Well, now you got Bueller game two and if Bueller's blister flares up or if he struggles a little bit and it only gives you three or four innings, you know, now you're into your bullpen and you still have to win two more games after to the next three after that if you happen to win game two. So I think the way it is right now, just based on, you know, the way it's set up with guys not expected to come back and pitch on short rest, I would keep it the way it is. Yeah, and that's uh, on Joe and Oral's podcast, which they recorded on Wednesday before game one, but it, it uh, came out after game one. They were talking to Dave Roberts about that, but before they talked to Roberts, Oral was talking about the decision to start Bueller in game one, and that was kind of the point that he made was if you go into the series knowing that game three is going to be some sort of a bullpen game, if you have a game three, it makes sense to start the guy who's less likely to go deep in the game in game one so that if you use a bunch of relievers in game one, they have a day of rest before game three when they might be needed again. And so that same principle might apply, even though they're not going to be necessarily doing a, a bullpen game uh, any time in the NLDS, at least maybe not until game five. Uh, that same concept of once you get past the two established starters, you do have a, a higher chance of a short outing by a starter. And so it does make sense to split up those guys that way. Uh, so that would, that would lean towards Bueller starting game one. My other thought was 
if you are thinking about having a guy come back on short rest in game five, it might make more sense to have it be the guy who, you know, because Bueller, there's more of a chance of him only throwing 50 or 60 pitches in, in game one than Kershaw. Kershaw's going to go 90 or 100 probably. Uh, but if Bueller, you know, if he goes four innings, 50 pitches in game one, yeah, that's not ideal for game one, but it does leave him available for game five and more rested arm-wise, even if the finger is a question mark. Uh, I really hope they don't do anybody in, on short rest on game five, uh, which is one of the main reasons I hope there isn't a game five, because I want them to have their rotation lined up for the NLCS too. I want them, I want every series starting with Bueller and Kershaw starting the first two games in some order. Uh, and so I don't want anybody going on short rest. Uh, but I don't know. That's kind of my thoughts. So I lean towards Bueller starting game one for a lot of different reasons, uh, including the rest. You know, I, I like the idea. The only reason I would think about Kersh- uh, Kershaw game one would be to give Bueller's finger an extra day of rest. Yeah, I agree. We, uh, you know, nice way of agreeing, but having different reasons for agreeing. So look at that. Yeah. We're, we're just well-rounded today. I'm sick and tired of agreeing with you, Vince. <laughs> Um, all right. You have any other final thoughts before we wrap up? One quick final thought is how, you know, spoiled we are as Dodger fans. Um, you know, the talk is always more pitching, more pitching, more pitching, starting pitching. We don't have it, blah, blah, blah. Look around at all these other series. Every game is a bullpen game, but just about, you know, other than the Reds series where they had and the Reds Brave series where they had starting pitchers go deep. No uh, no starting pitchers again out of the fifth inning. I know obviously the Dodgers didn't have that in game one, but that was a little bit more maybe saving Bueller and injury-wise right, more so than too much effectiveness. But you know the Dodgers have a, a deep enough pitching staff to get it done. It's just a matter of actually getting it done. Yep, absolutely. So uh, Cardinals and Padres play game three of their series today to find out who plays the Dodgers in the next round. Uh, if good Jack Flaherty shows up, the Cardinals have a good chance there. Uh, the Padres have used a lot of relievers. Their starters have gone a total of like three innings in the first two games. And so their bullpen is not very well rested. And so uh, if Jack Flaherty shows up and the the Cardinals are facing the Padres bullpen, could be an upset for the Padres uh, getting knocked out early. But either way, whether the Dodgers face the Cardinals or the Padres, I'm excited about it. And the good news is this three-game series that we were dreading a little bit. Uh, I believe my my overarching thought, Vince, was uh, I like the Dodgers no matter who they play because they're better than whoever they play and they're going to win the series. And uh, I think that proved to be correct, did it not? It did, but we, not, they didn't have two comfortable wins. It was two somewhat comfortable wins. Somewhat comfortable. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> So we threw a somewhat into my prediction. Good job, Dodgers, <laughs> making me somewhat wrong. Yeah. Uh, all right. That'll wrap it up for today and for this week. By the way, this was episode number 400. Uh, last week, Vince and I looked and said, ooh, if we play our cards right, we could ep- uh, celebrate episode 400 by talking about the Dodgers win in the wild card series. And that is how that played out, too. So thank you all for listening to these past 400 episodes. 400 episodes, Vince. That's a lot. That is a lot, and it doesn't even feel like four, like 400 episodes in the time frame we've done. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, we only did what 138 on our old ep- our old podcast, and that and, took three years or something. Yeah, well spread out. Yep. So uh, 400 episodes in about 
a year and a half or so. So thank you all for listening to, if you haven't listened to all of them, go ahead and download them all. That would help, help our numbers too. Uh, but either way, keep listening every day. Uh, if you aren't listening every day, go ahead and start doing that, or at least add another one or two to your rotation. We love talking to you guys, and we would love to hear from you uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're at Locked On Dodgers uh, on both of those places. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Semperio. I'm on Twitter at Snydog. DMs are open in all those places. You can DM us. Feel free to just shout us out, out at us on Twitter, you know, and we'll retweet you. Uh, if you're saying good things about our podcast, you bet your butt we'll retweet that. Uh, you can email us. The email address is LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com. Our phone number is 323-863-LOCK-5625. You can leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text there anytime you want. We are here every weekday morning, and we hope you'll be here with us. When you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good one. D. I say D-O. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard. All hard and all thumbs, they're my Los Angeles, your Los Angeles, our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant? Bye!